So I don't know if you know the news, but just several days ago, Ravi Zacharias, famous Christian apologist who died, who went to heaven this last year, uh, his ministry that he left behind, RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, it had come to their attention that some accusations had been made against him that seemed credible. So they hired an independent firm to research these, to investigate and to conduct independent interviews. And they found that he had at least a decade-long pattern of sexual sin, harassment. Serious? And, I wondered why you had his name up there. Like, his daughter heads up his ministry now, so she was the public face of oh. writing this thing, saying sometime in January they're going to release the, the report. Um, I'm not even going to... I'm not even going to soil your ears with the information that I read that is credible. And because uh, my first, when I first heard this was going on, I was like, not again. And I just refuse to believe it until it's provable. Just, I'm, ti- I'm tired of it. I'm just tired of it. So I can't, I can't deal with that right now was my first feeling. Um, but then when I read a few articles, and these aren't crazy people that are trying to take him down. These are people who love him, um, who respect and, and admire him, who are heartbroken. That was hard to talk even with my mom uh, about this because he had such a positive influence on her life as well, my life, her life. And she wrote me a huge message because we talked about it at the dinner table over Christmas uh, in Virginia. I went on his website, RZIM, and there's a quote from Robbie that says, I am convinced that the Christian worldview is the most coherent option available. And just hearing him talk positively about the faith knowing what I now know just turned my stomach and made me wish that they would have already taken down their website completely. I went and took down the the two videos that I had uh, um, that mentioned him. What's up, Mike? Uh, I I took down the two videos that I had, one on YouTube and one on Facebook, where I talked about cut flower ethics, something that I learned from Robbie, the idea of, well, we don't need to go into that, but... uh, he, he's helped me a lot, and I hope that RZIM, that uh, Robbie Zacharias International Ministries, changes their name and continues to teach the Christ-centered biblical truth that they've learned from him, but separated from him, separated from his name, separated from his reputation, because at this point, no matter how smart you are, no matter how much good you've done, once that happens, now you have... Um, You've, you've thrown mud on Jesus' name, you know. And, and I know that sometimes we, we, sometimes we think um, that beliefs or the gospel, just preach the word. We're not asking people to believe in us. But our character matters. Uh, our life, people are looking at our life uh, Tim Fried says it this way, uh, your, your life's the only Bible some people will ever read. And, and when, it, when it tells them that there's not a God who changes lives and creates loving people who walk differently than the world, uh, messes, it, messes, it, 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 it reflects poorly on God. And that's really the, the, the weight of tonight's little chat. Here's a, another one that, from this year. Carl Lentz, uh, pastor, former pastor at Hillsong, New York, uh, was known to be the pastor to the stars, NBA players and pop music people, and he was a mover and a shaker, and just seemed to really represent a God of grace, 
Jesus who hangs out with sinners and championed, uh, I was really proud of the way he was reaching out to Justin Bieber, who was living a very unchristian lifestyle at the time, and, and Carl would just reach out to him, and um, he, Carl got in trouble with the church people for who he loved, which I liked, and then recently an intern found some compromising text messages or evidences of some kind of direct message from so, some, we'll call them text messages, could be social media direct messages, I don't know, on his laptop, followed it down with him, and he admitted that he had been having an affair, and the woman who he had been meeting uh, admitted and corroborated the data, and he's got a beautiful wife and kids, and a huge church looking up to him is a major loss to the whole, to, to the wife, to the kids, uh, to the city, to the church, and uh, you can put a brave face on it, but that's devastating, and that's going to affect some people in ways they don't quite understand. Something happens, and I'm not sure what it is, something happens in us when we see examples of a lack of trustworthy character to where it seems like the world itself has become a less trustworthy place. At least that's how it feels to my heart. I'm not sure why. I, I feel things very strongly, like, I often look at the behavior of Christians and think, well, I don't want to be a Christian. That's a way of exaggeration. Like, I sh- like wow, why do I feel things so strongly? My, I had a friend who told me yesterday that his counselor told him that his emotional responses are disproportionately extreme. And then his next line in the message was, and that just hurts so bad. <laughs> you get the joke. Yeah. And I told him, I said, well, you know, some of us are artists, and artists feel things more strongly than others, and it's the blessing and curse of an artist to feel more strongly than others so that you can give expression to it in a way that the expression hopefully will help heal and heal others and help narrate their lives, you know, um, at least when the artist is coping in a healthy way. <laughs> if they're not coping in a healthy way, they're actually dragging everyone down worse. But Carl Lentz, yeah. Um, Jim Baker, y'all remember him back in the day. Jim and uh, Tammy Faye, remember them? And uh, he was accused of rape. He lost his marriage over it, lost his ministry over it. He's rebuilt his ministry, and now he preaches mostly about end-time stuff and sells end-time prep kits and stuff, and he's still going. But Jimmy Swaggart's another one, bouts with prostitutions and... Uh, prostitutes, sorry, not prostitution. Yeah, but he actually repented publicly and, and turned... This is true. This is true. Throughout the 80s and 90s, his denomination, I remember his speech. I remember it. And he stepped down from his ministry, but now he's he's back doing his thing. Uh, I'm not trying to mention people to dog them. I'm mentioning people that affected us. A lot of it is. A lot of it is. And I know he's not a pastor, but Bill Cosby um, was a fixture in my life. Monday nights, we'd watch the Cosby show, and every new season, they'd have a new intro, and it was like a big deal, and I'm a little kid, and I remember just thinking, like, wow, black people's lives are amazing, and because uh, <laughs> that was my, my world. Everyone I knew was, you know, mostly, mostly white. These were the black people I knew were highly educated, fun, the romance between the husband and the wife, the parenting wisdom, and the, the, everything about the show was just so endearing to me. He was America's dad. He was, you know... I have a great father, but Cosby was like America's dad. And so when this stuff comes out that he had been drugging and raping women for 
that whole season of his life. Wow. And I didn't believe it. I said, no way. This is ridiculous. This is wrong. This is a takedown of some kind. Then I started reading the, I, the, the first person, this is what happened to me. And their stories were too similar. They had enough, it just, and I, it made me, it, it, it messed with my worldview again. It's, again, it's not just, how could he do that? It's, whoa, what does this mean? I, I don't know why, if it's a human need to be asking the question, what does this mean constantly? Uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. is another one. Um, used to be the president of Liberty University this year. There was more stuff that I'm not going to tell you because it's just gross comes out and then he's he's out it's sexual stuff both him and his wife involved some stupid stuff just dumb just unbelievable stuff just stuff that you're like bro what what is going on what is what is it yeah yeah another one i think bill gothard is another one um so i and we could fill a whole list full of stuff that's heartbreaking and Yes, and it, that's, see, that's the thing is like you've gained all this truth. You've gained all this, hey, what's up? You've gained all this truth. You've, your, your life's been improved, and these people functioned like, like pillars, even though you didn't necessarily have them personally in your life, but maybe you did. You know, we've had people close to us fall as well, you know, and, and I don't think it's the issue of sin as much. Now, now I'm jumping ahead in the talk a little bit here, but to me, the, the biggest issue is the sin combined with the maintaining the sin long term yeah. while conducting a double life. If it was a fall once, confess it openly and get help, that feels different than fall into sin, stay in sin long term while continuing to, to conduct a public facade and fool everyone yeah, probably yourself too. I don't know. I'm not sure. So Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, uh, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light Shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Catch the principle? You're supposed to show your virtue in a way that gives glory to God. Not to you, to God. So the question I have, if Jesus tells us to shine the light so that people will think highly of God, does that same principle work in reverse? that if they don't see our good deeds, but they see our evil deeds, will that also reflect on the Heavenly Father? And you've heard me essentially arguing, yes, yes. Um, if they see our wicked deeds, they might curse our Father in heaven. Or, at the very least, they might lose respect for Him. Or, they might lose confidence that our Father in heaven is even worth considering as an option, since we haven't got lives worth emulating. So here's a quote from a total secular guy. He's not a Christian at all. But he was reflecting on what he calls the, uh, how did he, what did he call it? The sad irony of celebrity pastors. So he's not even a Christian. And he's like, wow, y'all Christians got some problems. 
Here's what this non-Christian says. We can see the with a twist of Christianity trend other places too. Falwell was a representative of the right-wing business-oriented evangelicals who offered capitalist self-enrichment and hubristic jingoism with a twist of Christianity. And then there's progressive Christians like Nadia Boltz Weber who promote the usual left-wing causes. In other words, he says Falwell is just promoting the usual capitalist conservative Republican causes on the right with a little twist of Christianity mixed in. And over here on the left is Nadia Boltz Weber uh, promoting the usual left-wing political causes with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in. And while different in beliefs, these people share a pattern. The former believe that secular individualism mysteriously shares God's will for what should be done with money, while the latter think that secular progressives mysteriously share God's will for what should be done. You catch what this person's saying? This secular person is saying, magically, Falwell believes that the political conservative agenda lines up with God's. And magically, Nadia Boltz-Weber believes the liberal agenda lines up with God's. And then he says this, if that's true, then Christianity is an inessential add-on. And why would I become a Christian? I could just become a liberal or just become a conservative. I'm not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. You catching him so far? He thinks if you sincerely believe, it shouldn't make me go, Oh, great. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, there's nothing especially, there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks to me like they just want to become more like me. Hmm. And that sadly appears to have been true of Carl Lentz and his celebrity acquaintances. And you can look that up. Just Google the sad irony of celebrity pastors for the full article. This is just one little chunk of quote. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 7. Somebody want to get that for me? So it's the command to not take the name of the Lord in vain. Um, There are two applications that I see for this little command. The first one is the most straightforward. The verbal. The verbal application. It means to not speak God's name irreverently. Right? Am I right about that? Is that how you would characterize it? There's also a secondary application. And that has to do with taking on God's name, bearing his name, being called by his name in such a way that reflects poorly on him. Right? And I think both of those applications are in mind. So the second is a little less straightforward. Like when my wife and I got married, she took my name on. And if, so that now everything she does reflects on the Miller family name. It didn't used to be her last name. Everything she used to do would reflect on the Berry family name. Uh, So to bear God's name in vain is to be called a Christian, but to live as though there were no God. It's to have a form of godliness, but to deny the power thereof. Our life must reverence God's name. The first sense is our speech must reverence God's name. The second is our life must reverence God's name. 
Romans 2.24, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. I think about that often. I, I made a little message at the beginning of the pandemic entitled, uh, Bad Christians, Good Pagans. And how, like, that shouldn't happen, but it sometimes does, right? That's really annoying, you know? That's not supposed to work that way, you know? Yeah, we, we represent Jesus at all times. And we are called to live as worshipers and missionaries at all times. Uh, Philippians 1.27. Uh, somebody want to get that one for me? Philippians 1.27. Yeah, you're right. I, got, I have all these kind of on the board. And see, I even have my little verbal versus moral thing right, right there. Conduct matters. I, I feel like um, I, I, I know there are certain forms of Christianity that are focused on, quote, getting people saved. In other words, and what they mean by that usually is if I can get you to mentally agree with a set of ideas and then pray a prayer, then forever you will go to heaven no matter what else happens in your life. And that's very different than my agenda, which is to make disciples of people, teaching them to obey and follow Jesus in every area of their life. And I don't know the moment of when that started. God knows. But that's not my focus. My focus is getting them ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that their life is pleasing to the Lord and they get a well done, good and faithful servant. Nailed it. That just, that really stuck with Nailed me. it. All these years later, like, wow, that's so true. We're not, we're not saving ourselves, right? We, I've been listening to, uh, some, sometimes, occasionally, I will listen to a, a gentleman named Alan Watts, and he's just so inspiring and so helpful. And... Uh, He's also a pagan, which I didn't know till I tried to learn about him. Then I figured out he died of alcoholism. His heart, died, his heart failed him at age 58 because of his incessantly hard-drinking lifestyle. He would often lecture drunk. He also had like three marriages and didn't even claim to be sexually faithful, as far as I could tell. And yet his teachings were super inspiring and I was like, what does this mean? And this lady wrote an article explaining how, how, what it meant. And she said, this man's spirituality is extremely helpful. But look carefully at his message. His message is spirituality. And this is why he couldn't kick alcohol. Because his only solution to alcohol, to kicking alcohol, was him meditating, praying, and kicking alcohol. Notice, she said, the complete absence of a personal God who he cries out to, who saves him. Notice complete absence of the message of the grace of Jesus or the grace of God. And then she, tell, she, and, and she, was, just, she was just saying, I don't even know if she's a Christian, but she was saying Alcoholics Anonymous is built on the founder, Bill, I forget his name, who 
he was trying and struggling to get free of alcohol, right? And he could not kick it no matter how hard he tried, no matter how many times he would fall down again. And then he cried out to whoever God is out there. If you're there, if you'll have me, would you please save me? And this white light entered the room and the white light came inside him and the white light burned away the addiction and left him with a permanent sense of God's presence from then on. Guys, that's my testimony, like verbatim. I got chills reading it. I said, that's me. That's what happened to me. So we don't save ourselves. That's not what I'm talking about. God saves us. God changes us. God empowers us. But we have to cooperate. (laughs) And we got to actually have that sense of that we need saving. And that us in charge is a disaster. And then like a life of that. And I'm just wondering, you know, there's a lot I wonder. So whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. I, I, I feel like in our culture right now, uh, it's possible to be a Pharisee and, still, and be secular. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, I saw a pastor in an interview with a hostile reporter, and the hostile reporter was asking them what they believed about same-sex marriage. Now, this was a few years ago, and so it was way more like a hot-button topic a few years ago. Now, it's, now we've moved on to transgendered stuff is now the hot-button stuff. But at that time, that was the hot-button issue. And the reporter was just trying to corner him did not one time ask him how he intends to treat same-sex people. You, kept, you hear what I'm saying? Did not care about his conduct. Did not care how he treated people. Was measuring him by what? By what he believed about the issue. And that is going on writ large in our culture right now. You and I are being judged and I think we are have a strong temptation to judge people based on what they believe. And it's a sneaky demonic trap. Instead of asking people how, how they intend to treat people with whom they disagree. It's, I don't need to go down an end time speculation about how things could go. Because that's not helpful. But to me, that's what's relevant. How do you intend to treat people with whom you disagree? Not... Do you, believe what the, do, you, do you believe that their lifestyle is good? Bro, am I going to be a good neighbor to them? That's what should be relevant. I, I, okay, I don't even know. Why. It's our conduct that, that the apostles are really concerned about, much more than our beliefs. I think it's fascinating. There's no doctrine test on Judgment Day. It's how did you treat me, tucked away, hidden in the least of these, brothers of mine. Right? It's not a doctrine and when they talk about, Paul says, you must teach what is in record with sound doctrine. Then he says, teach the men to be self-controlled and, and, and to lift up holy hands in prayer and teach the women to do this, this, and this. When he says, let's teach what's in accord to sound doctrine, he goes right to conduct and character. To say Jesus is Lord means something in terms of how we conduct our daily lifestyle and our moral choices, right? That's not how you become a Christian, but once you did become a Christian, there's a certain way to live under Jesus' lordship. I feel like I'm just being really repetitive. Here's a big old chunk. Check this out. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that, listen to his logic, so that if any of them do not believe your word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. 
Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. My wife thinks that's funny because when we were dating, I said she had a gentle, quiet spirit. And then sometimes now that we're married, she's like, you like my gentle, quiet spirit? Because we were fighting and, and I'm like, well. A gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women of the past put their hope in God, who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own, very imperfect, husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed, ah, trigger warning, Abraham and called him her Lord. Now everyone needs to be apologized to and hugged and have a safe space in the back, right? Because that's the modern world. Why am I this way tonight? I'm like all very... But listen to this. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Fear. Fear and faith in a marriage look like not insisting on your own way, but thinking about the bigger picture of the other person's soul. That's fascinating to me. But look, win them over without an argument. Win them over without words. Win them over with the conduct of your character. Now, if Peter's instruction is aimed at evangelism, even in a marriage, I just, I just know for a fact the apostles, if they, were, if they were today counseling us as American Christians, they would, be th- they would be telling us, forget about your rights, people. This is a mission field. Shine the brighter. If persecution comes, thank God you've been considered worthy of persecution that the spirit of glory and grace rests on you and shine brighter. Be more meek. Be more humble. Be more gracious. Why not rather be wronged? Look, make Jesus look amazing. Because if you fight back. You know all these false messiahs that came before Jesus? You know what they did differently than Jesus? They picked up the sword and fought. They said, ah, we have to bring God's kingdom to earth. So they picked up the sword and fought. So now they look just like the world. Jesus exposes, exposes the depravity of the, of the demonic and the worldly realms by laying down his life and letting them do their, their worst to him. He, he defangs it by exposing it. Yeah. But it's our conduct. This is what I'm trying to say. It's our conduct. It's our conduct. And, and people go, oh, that's none of your business, Tim. It's none of your business what I do in private. Are you nuts? It's my business what you do in secret. It's your business what I do in secret. We're so interconnected as humans, we don't even know. And we try to pretend we're not. That's nobody's business but my own. Nonsense. Because when what you've been doing in secret comes out, it affects everyone. And the more it affects them, the more their business it is. Like the wife and kids. Or the church family. That's none of, my, that's none of your business. How dare you... you you're, you're prying into my, my private affairs. You know all I hear there? You're not my keeper. And that's the one thing I know, is we are our brother's keeper. Yeah. I'm not the world's keeper. I'm not here to judge the world. But if you, if you call yourself a Christian, you are in some sense my responsibility if you call yourself a Christian. Now, I'm going to love you even if you're not, but I have a special responsibility to you if you, if you, if you claim Jesus as Lord. Okay, Mark 9, 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. I've never quite understood the context of that. What is Jesus referring to? 
Is he talking about people who sexually abuse children? Well, that's probably included in the heading. Is he talking about people whose behavior causes others to sin by following them into sins? Possibly. Is he talking about people whose sinful behavior is causing people to give up faith in God? Possibly. Is it all of the above and maybe a few more? Probably. Anyone else want to, want to venture a, a theory on what it means to cause one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble? I stumble. Yep. My kids the other day said, there's a, a little YouTube advertisement that came up from Cartoon Network. Ah, it's not, I don't want to get into it. Some of that stuff's like yucky, and I just don't want to talk about it. But yes. <laughs> I think one of the big deals, I don't know if it's just on my life or what, is we're called to live as missionaries. We're called to live as missionaries at all times. I remember moving here, and one of my friends in the church, I said, do you see yourself as a missionary? And they were like, not really. And I said, well, what is a missionary to you? Well, that's somebody who the church raises money and then sends them overseas to a foreign culture that doesn't have the gospel. And then they plant churches there and make disciples of those foreign people. That's a missionary. We are regular Christians. Those people are missionaries. If you know me, you know that burned me up. Like that made me feel like I was already failing as a pastor. Because to me, you are a missionary (laughs) here to your job, to your family, to your friends. You are a missionary. And, <laughs> and I could pretend you weren't, but it would be a lie because the Bible's clear. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So start where you are. You're a missionary. You're a witness to the reality of Jesus, right? That's your calling. And it seems to me that we... We're called to cross culture and make sense. We're called to become all things to all people right? But if we're so much like them, right? This is what we heard at the beginning, the quote of, all they did was baptize conservative politics and add a little sprinkle in a little Jesus. All she did on this Christian, baptize liberal politics and sprinkle in a little Jesus. How about somebody just goes after the politics of Jesus and looks so differently from the rest of us that even though I don't like it and it makes me frustrated, if I ever burn out on what I'm doing, I might actually consider that. So somehow to be missionaries means to make enough sense to the culture to be understandable, but to be faithful to Jesus so so there's holiness. And it's the holiness that actually makes it effective. That's the problem in the Old Testament. They would intermarry and take on the, the idolatry of the surrounding nations. They would learn from the nations how to live instead of teaching the nations how to live like God said. And be good news to the nation. They were sent there to be missionaries. They were to be a kingdom of priests on behalf of all the other nations. So Israel was to function among the nations the way a priest functions in Israel. A priest stands in between you and God and pulls the two parties together by doing the sacrifices and offering the invitations. And the whole nation of Israel was supposed to function among the nations as a missionary people. But the only way that works is if they walk in holiness. So that they look different. Because God's commands have wisdom. God never, is never a killjoy. He never tells you not to do something because he is trying to hide the good stuff from you. Every time he gives you a command, it's to keep the good stuff for you. It's to protect and preserve the good stuff because he knows how life works best. You know all this. So holiness is supposed to be the thing that makes us attractive. 
All right. Back to the fallen leaders. How does this stuff about fallen leaders affect you emotionally? If we looked up to them and they couldn't get it, what, what hope do I have? Or they told me that the gospel changes lives, but their life wasn't changed. How can I trust the gospel to change my life? Some of these, I'm, I'm making it rational, but sometimes they're just emotional things that are, are, are hard to put into words. For me, and I go into, whoa, places of extreme despair over this kind of stuff. And it makes you question what they've contributed to your life. Mm-hmm. And then anyone else comes along touting the distinctives that they did. You instant, I, I am instantly like, I don't know about all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how much of their lack of integrity came from their belief system? That, like, that's hard to untangle. And you were like, dang it, I should have given that word. So then that makes me, that, ha- that, that affected me so greatly because that was a place in my life where I, I would put people on pedestals. Ah, so, so it humanized. People, leaders falling humanized leaders for you. They're just like me, and they're going to need accountability and encouragement yeah. and warning and all the stuff I need. So true. And leaders all have a target, yeah. right? Take a leader down. Stri- I mean, Jesus said it. Strike the ship, shepherd and the sheep scatter. Yeah, it's a winning, it's like yeah. And that's, and that's what Adam Bauer, remember when Adam Bauer came to us and said, you show me one Bible verse that right. tells you to trust. He said, trust you try and show me one Bible verse that tells you to trust in a man yeah. or a leader. Yeah, yeah that, that scares going back to the, um, the thing I said about we don't save ourselves, right? And that one guy who is, he really is so deep and so inspiring, but, but he, he didn't have the strength. All of, for all of his eloquence and his brilliant worldview, he didn't have the power. The, the, he didn't have the, the love from God, the power from God to change, to get free of alcohol. So, you are not called to put your trust in me, but I am called to be worthy of your trust. Yeah. Right? I'm called to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Yeah. St. Augustine, you know what he said regarding leaders who fall? Because humans, humans, we, we mess up. We're humans. So we all mess up. Hopefully, in smaller ways rather than bigger ways. And so Augustine says, because back in his time, there was still, still persecution going on. And some of these people, I would baptize you, but then here come the, here come the authorities. And they go, give us your, give us your Bibles, preacher. And, and you go, I'm not giving you my Bibles. They're the only copies I have. And if you gave up the Bibles... It was such a, a thing of dishonor to Jesus. You know, they'd cut off your big toes and stuff, torturing you, give us, a, give your, deny Christ, give us your, some of these preachers folded under pressure. Now, let's say I baptized you and then when they're cutting off my thumbs and stuff and my toes, I fold under pressure, I hand over the holy books and I deny Jesus. Now you're going, is my baptism real? Is the faith even real? 
Is Jesus even good? Well, shouldn't he have given him, uh, this? I know this man. I prayed with this man. I've walked with this man. Why, why didn't the Lord hold him up in, in the trial? And all this stuff. And, and Augustine says, first off, the church weighed in on that and said, you didn't, because people were getting rebaptized. They were saying, I need to get rebaptized because that fool baptized me. And then later on, and, and so then these people were doubting their own. And the, the whole church had to come together and say, no, 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 you do not need to get rebaptized. It is not, it is not the holiness of the preacher that, that baptized you or saved you. Right. It is the holiness of the gospel that was on the preacher's lips, whether he believed it or not. You believed it. God, the Holy Spirit, saved you. This is what Augustine says. Do not judge the faith by the man. Judge the man by the faith. But that's what our heart wants to do. But that's why we need to be reminded, do not judge the faith by the man. Judge the man by the faith. Sometimes I can preach the gospel way better than I'm living the gospel. And the gospel I'm preaching is true even if I'm not living it. Now I'm called to live it. But if I don't, you keep right on following Jesus. Here's another thing. I would love if you were loyal to me all my days, but if I ever wash out on Jesus, I pray you're not. I pray you stay faithful to Jesus even if I wash out. Do you know what I mean? Don't follow me into sin for crying out loud. I have no intentions or plan to sin. But, you know. Well, the best played plans of mice and men, you know, all astronauts plan on coming home. Some don't, you know. My friend uh, Austin said, uh, when he found out about Robbie, he said, I I don't think I could live with myself. I I don't know that I could go on living. Uh, Recently, as in the last year or two, a young pastor who I really appreciated, he's about my age, so I'm going to call him young. Darren Patrick, he uh, took his life. Um, He resigned some sort of alcoholism, depression thing and his church. And uh, maybe there was something else. I can't remember. But he was fully repentant and he resigned. I think the shame um, just ate his lunch. And um, so that's what Austin was saying. I don't know if I, if I failed the way, if I was doing what Robbie, how could I, I don't know if I could live with myself. Shame is a powerful thing. Shame is so powerful, Paul says, to use it very, very carefully. Remember the, the young man in, in the city of Corinth was having sex with his dad's wife. Not his biological mom, but his mom by dad marrying her. Not that that makes it better. Um, and, they, and Paul says, kick him out. Kick him out. Don't even eat food with him. Don't even eat food with him. He's claiming to be a Christian, so don't even eat food with him shame him. His conscience is busted. He has seared his conscience. His conscience is no longer in agreement with the Holy Spirit or the Bible. So now you have to be functioning in his life like the Holy Spirit and the Bible are supposed to. He has seared his conscience by repeatedly disobeying the Holy Spirit. So now it's your job to put a line in the sand where it actually is. And if you don't, sin will eat your whole church alive because it grows like a cancer. And if you go, grace of God, grace of God, grace of God, sin's going to eat everybody's lunch. You have to draw the line. Then in 2 Corinthians, he says, hey, y'all, please, 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 please go hug that man and bring him back home. Forgive him completely like it never happened, like it never happened. Quick, quick, 
Because the shame could kill him. Your disapproval could kill him. Hug him. Receive him back. Tell him it's all forgiven and don't bring it up anymore. 100%. Laughing at his jokes, eating at the table. Bring the boy home before the shame kills him. That's deep. and That's a deep, deep, deep analysis of, of the power of, dis, of human disapproval. Shoot, it's easier for you to beat me up than to disapprove of me. Right? We can get in the boxing ring and you beat the tar out of me. But if you hug me and encourage me once we get up, it's all fine. But go after me and hate me and resent me and take me down for the rest of your life. Whoo, doggies. Now you're doing damage. Uh, I've noticed one of the lies that, one of the ways lies try to come to me through these kinds of things where people let me down, maybe is one way to put it, is lies try to move from the particular to get exaggerated out into the universal, right? So here's, here's what I mean. These two leaders lived secret lives of sin, and here's how, sin, here's how the lie likes to work into my heart. Therefore, all leaders must lead secret lives of sin. Now, is that true? No, that's a lie. These men sin sexually in secret. Therefore, all men, oh, especially if given the opportunity, would sin sexually in secret. Well, I was talking to somebody recently, <clears throat> and they said, well, the women need to take some responsibility for some of these things. They can't just dress that way and flaunt their whatever because men are just going to want things. And my dad says, <clears throat> Charles hasn't and wouldn't. That's Carrie's dad. Tim hasn't and wouldn't. I haven't and wouldn't. What are you saying? <clears throat> I liked that. And knowing men and women of integrity and naming them when these kinds of things happen helps restore my internal balance. Okay. No, not everybody's all looking at porn and cheating on their spouse. No, that is a lie. That is not true. There's plenty of men who are governed by the Holy Spirit. And plenty of women who are governed by the Holy Spirit. And it helps to know their names sometimes, you know? Um, this one's mine. It's not just leaders, y'all. It's people. People I laid hands on, prophesied over, cried with, prayed with, taught classes of, baptized, and they wash out on Jesus and get into a godless lifestyle and eventually deny the faith that I know it was God. That it's not just leaders falling. Sometimes regular saints falling can mess up leaders and make me say, what's the point of what I'm doing? And it's, those are lies too. Those are lies too. It, it makes me say, uh, not makes me, that's wrong. That's wrong language. That's sloppy language. It can tempt me to say. That's much better language, right? Nobody makes me say stuff. Nobody makes me feel stuff. But they can tempt me. It tempts me to say, when I see God doing something amazing, eh, but will it stick? 
Y'all, that's what it is to get old in the spirit. We ain't supposed to get old in the spirit. We're supposed to get young in the spirit. Little kids don't think that way. Right? We're supposed to get younger in the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's his little moment of doubt. It's a little crisis. Poor me. <laughs> and there were 7,000 who had not submitted or turned to Baal. God, God says, I have kept for my own self. Oh, you like that powerful God? He can do stuff like that. I have kept for myself 7,000 who have not compromised themselves with idols. Yeah, so get up and quit your whining. There, I changed my language. <laughs> uh, here's, a, here's another verse. I'm gonna try to shorten it down. 1 Corinthians 6, if any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Don't you know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you're to judge the world, are you, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? What the heck are you thinking? I say this to shame you. Interesting language. It's, is it possible there's literally no one among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother takes another brother to court and in front of unbelievers? The fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have already been completely defeated. Why not rather be wronged? Hardcore, Paul. And two reasons he's so upset about this. Again, their concern in Christianity is very much less about what you believe, although what you believe matters. It's very much more on how you conduct your life because A, pleasing the Lord matters, and B, representing the Lord as a missionary matters. And you failed at both in one swoop, Corinthians. What are you doing? Selfishness? Mine, no, me, no, me, no, me, me, me. Hey, pagan, come here. And by pagan, I mean literally a pagan. Someone who doesn't worship Jesus, somebody who worships a Greek or Roman god of the pantheon is now here to render verdict of me, mine, me. And Paul's like, oh my goodness, just have it. Oh, my word. The reputation of Jesus is so much more important than you getting what you think you need to have. There's a skit we did in Reach called Me. And it was powerful. And the only words were me and you. And they only said you at the end when they had repented. And I'll let you imagine the rest. <laughs> yeah, it's because somebody came into the story, a third character, who said you and went to the cross. And they stopped saying me and looked at each other, changed their whole mind and looked at each other and cried and said you and hugged and apologized. Simple. So deep. So deep. Paul's like, what are you doing? Almost done. Uh, I'll just summarize. First Peter 2. If you're going to suffer, please suffer for doing what's right. 
not for doing what's wrong. Oh, my word, y'all are called by the name Jesus. Matthew 16, this is the last verse. Be careful, Jesus said, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then, of course, they get into an argument over forgetting bread and, and he rolls his eyes and face palms and, and says, are you kidding me? We just multiplied bread. Do you honestly think I'm concerned about the bread? Uh, and then he comes out with it. I'm talking about the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees behavior, which is hypocrisy. That's what you're to be on guard. Now, if Jesus, instead of saying, boy, those guys are really dirtbags, says to the disciples, y'all are in danger of being like them. You got to be really ruthless to cut this out of your life or it can take over. That's how I know hypocrisy is a danger to us all. So it's not very smart for us to sit around pointing the finger at other people saying, look at those hypocrites. It's much better for us to go, that could be me, and in probably in some degree that I'm unaware of, it is me. To some degree that I'm unaware of. If I was aware of it, I would hopefully change it. So what is hypocrisy? I said we'd end with hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? So when... The, when the outside, what if you're sincerely trying to grow in a thing and that's why it looks better on the outside? I'm trying to grow in love, but I'm really selfish. So I'm, so I'm diligently setting to do love, but I don't want to. My outside's still a little different than my inside. Is that hypocrisy? So it's pretending. So, so the deception, the pretense, right. is the big component that makes it. So the word hypocrisy comes from the same word that means to be a theater actor. It's in fact, that's the word, to be. A, that's what it, that's what the, that literally the Greek word means, a, a theater actor. Someone who puts on the white makeup and pretends to be someone they're not in front of a crowd. And this is what Jesus chooses to say is true of the Pharisees and Sadducees, but that is a danger to you and me. The danger is we put our Christianity on like a character we learn to wear. I mean, as soon as I get home, guys, I'm taking these jeans off and I'm putting on my comfortable PJ pants. It's just how it is. I've gained too much holiday weight, holiday weight for this to sit down with my belt on. It pinches my belly fat with the buckle and I just get fed up. In other words, the real me... At home, I get the comfortable clothes on that suit me better. But out in public, I can't be wearing, can't be wearing these red flannel. I could. I choose not to wear my red flannel pajama pants. Hey, man, I like them. So, uh, although I do wear them to take out the trash, and I end up getting stuck in conversation with the neighbors this morning about like, hey, uh, what's going on with this and what's going on with that? And uh, hey, you want to buy this wood stove? Uh, 250 And I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't even think about it because the neighbors... I think they all kind of know me. Johnny Blaze and uh, Dave and anyway. But that's what, that's what hypocrisy is. It's, uh, it's putting on a persona that's not the real you. Uh, Norm MacDonald, when, when the Cosby stuff happened, he heard somebody say, you know, and the worst part of it is the hypocrisy. 
And Norm said, ah, you know, I don't think that's the worst part. I think the worst part is the uh, raping followed by the uh, drugging and closely by the scheming would maybe be third on the list. So the raping, drugging, and scheming, I think, would be a lot higher than the hypocrisy. And then somewhere down the list would be the hypocrisy. I started thinking about that. First off, Norm is hilarious. And finding a way to make that observation, he's really deep insight. So then what is the deal with hypocrisy? Right? If it's not the worst thing, then what's the, what's the scoop on it? Well, for Bill Cosby, I think it would have something to do with stop scheming, uh, plotting, drugging, and raping. That would, have, that would have pretty well solved it. He wouldn't have had to focus on the hypocrisy. He could have fought the sin. At the very least, when the sin was small, he could have admitted he had a problem. Well, it was small. But here's the nature of how sin works, as far as I can tell. Uh, sin is a living thing. It's a living energy. And it wants to stay alive. It's a parasite. It wants to stay alive. And to stay alive, it has to stay in you. And to stay in you, it wants to stay in the dark. Because the light is a disinfectant. From talking with addicts and reading about addiction and being a human who struggles with addiction, right? Surely I'm not alone. The willingness to lie is what keeps almost all sin alive. Not just lie to others. When it gets to its later stages, you believe your own bull. Which is why any addiction recovery program will tell you, ruthless, honest accounting is required for recovery. Which is why I think the Holy Spirit told me when I was puzzling over that guy who comes and asks me for money, and I just, the whole interaction made me feel dirty and I was trying to figure it out, what, what, what should I do, Lord? And what I came to was it would be fine for me to give him money for drugs as long as I told him, I'll give you this $5 when I believe you. So that's not my daughter. We don't lie to each other. Why? I already know what she is. When I believe you, I'll give you $5. Or maybe I won't. But the point is I ain't giving you nothing until I believe you. Oh. No, I'm saying that was an imaginary conversation where the Holy Spirit was helping me understand why I felt sin, like I had sinned by going, by seeming to go along, not with the money, with the lies that were the justification for the money. And I'm like, you know what? I can't partner with these lies. It would be, yeah, it, yeah. So sin is a living thing. It's a parasite. It wants to stay alive. To stay alive, it wants to stay in the dark. Now, here's a little trick that we play. Here's a little trick we play. Repenting is not the same as apologizing. So somebody will sin, and maybe it's me, maybe I sin. And then I apologize to the Lord and tell no one. 
with a plan that it'll never happen again. Do you know how dangerous that is? One of the signs of repentance is your willingness to confess your sins to a human. That's one of the signs of repentance. I'm not saying it has to be a priest with a a robe in in a box. That's awesome. I'm glad the Catholics have that. Sometimes I wish we had that. More importantly, though, is to confess to a believer who can represent Christ and proclaim over you that you are forgiven. That's extremely important. Otherwise, shame can eat our lunch. It's very important to hear, in Jesus' name, you are forgiven. I declare you forgiven. Because repentance is not the same as an apology. And that's a sneaky little way that a tiny thing can remain in the dark while pretending that it's been exposed. It's one of those little things. Uh, Radical transparency is the path to integrity. Have you ever heard somebody talk in public and you can tell they just don't have a filter? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's like terrifying because you're like, oh my word, they're going to say whatever they think. And that can be scary. And sometimes that's not good. But I believe those people. I trust those people. Beth Moore, I trust Beth Moore. She's willing to offend all of us. She's willing to offend me. She doesn't care what I think. She's about pleasing the Lord. She, she, she tweeted the other day something hilarious. She said, y'all who's fixing to uh, curse my womb too late, I already had a hysterectomy 10 years ago. Uh, I was like, oh, I love you so much, Beth. <laughs> yeah, there was a pastor who just invested so much in her life and he said something like, Beth, I know that no matter who else uh, isn't loyal to me, you'll always be loyal to me. And she was like, uh, that felt weird. I'm loyal to Jesus alone. And I'll please Jesus, I'll be faithful to Jesus in how I treat you forever, okay? But I ain't loyal to you, loyal to no man. I'm loyal to Christ. And she made a fuss over it. And somebody else was like, Beth, how dare you talk about our so-and-so deceased pastor. May the Lord bless his memory, you know. And I'm like, she don't care. Like, I believe Beth more. And she's one of those people who helps me restore me back to John Piper, same way. He doesn't doesn't care if you like him or not, or he seems not to, but he's not mean. He just has a reverence and a fear of the Lord that makes him blatantly honest. He took a step down from from ministry for six months before he retired because he felt like he saw pride in his life. He saw pride in his life. His elders didn't see pride. He saw pride in his life. So he stepped down to figure out what the heck is wrong with him. He found that he was getting provoked and agitated and impatient with people. So he stepped down and figured out what the heck is doing, going wrong in his heart. And then he came back for like three more months before retiring. Now, I might be getting the timelines wrong on that. I thought, bro, you're so old. Just run to the end, end, end line. And then, I, and then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, no, this is good. This is good. I think it's important. Like Jesus, Jesus has interesting strategies. Like Matthew 5, he says, let your light shine before men. Matthew 6, he says, don't let your light shine before men. Keep it all a secret. Matthew 5, do your good deeds in public so they glorify God. Matthew 6, don't you dare do your good deeds in public. You'll be a hypocrite. You'll just be living for the praise of man. And you go, Jesus, which is it? And he goes, well, it's both. You've got to have a certain percentage of your good deeds done in public so God gets the glory. But you have to have a certain percentage of your good deeds in private or you will not have integrity. You've got to give, pray, uh, and fast in secret to please the Lord. 
He's your reward. Knowing God is your plan. Knowing God is your goal. You're not using God to get your will done on earth. You're not using God to fix your marriage. You're not using God to fix your business. You're not using God to fix your cancer. You're you're serving Jesus for the reward of pleasing and knowing him. And if the other stuff happens, praise God. And if it doesn't, praise God. It's about knowing him. Right? We want to see breakthrough in all those areas, don't we? Because we want his will. There's a sneaky thing that happens where we start using him to get our will done in his name. And Jesus says, it's super dangerous. Next thing you know, you're actually, you could be Amish. You could, you could look completely unworldly. But what is worldly? Is it wearing jeans? Is it driving cars? Is it using electricity? No, it's greed. It's pride. It's selfishness. It's slander. It's bitterness. It's resentment. It's the need to be first. It's the need to have reputation. It's the need to be loved. It's the need to be liked. It's the need to have position and be thought well of. You can have all those things and be Amish. You can be as worldly as the most worldly person filled with religious rules and Bible verses. Because it's all about heart. And Jesus goes, you want to not be a hypocrite? You got to hide a whole lot of your virtue. Or most likely, you're already fooling yourself and you're full of crap. Because who knows if they're a hypocrite? Do you think the Pharisees thought they were hypocrites, you guys? Of course not. You think the Sadducees said, we're liberal hypocrites who have denied the power of God and don't know the Bible or the power of God. No, Jesus is the one who told them that and they didn't know that. You know, they didn't know. What am I missing that I don't know? What are my blind spots? Shoot, when I'm super depressed, my wife knows way before me. That's weird. Seems like I should be the one to know that since depression is a feeling, right? <laughs> you know, that's like, you're going you're gonna to feel a slight pressure. Pressure? <laughs> You can't tell someone they're not in pain when they're in pain because feelings are not like... So how can I be depressed if my wife knows? I don't know, guys. And if if something that big and that central is a blind spot, what else am I blind about? So as we close, (laughs) John 3.20, everyone who does evil hates the light. That's an interesting verse. Everyone who does evil hates the light. And will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Have you ever noticed that someone who's done with evil doesn't care who knows? They just want to get out. They just want out. They just want done with it. I just want free of it. I just don't want it anymore. They don't care who knows. They just want out. And then there's these folk. My kids call it a YouTuber apology. They're so sorry that the public is mad at them. They're not at all sorry about what they did. (laughs) Crocodile tears. I'm so sorry that you guys don't like me anymore. I'm so sorry I got caught. I'm so sorry I've lost favor with the public. Versus a man who doesn't care what you think. I just want free of this thing. You know? So I keep coming back to this thing of like radical transparency Because the people I respect the most are brutally honest about their flaws, their failures, their weaknesses, their imperfections. They're uncomfortably honest. And that helps me trust them. God has plenty of grace for the humble, but he resists the proud. And so any of these folks that we mentioned, 
To me, it's not, it's not that they were tempted. No, everyone's tempted. It's not even that they sinned. It's that when they sinned in little ways, because you usually don't start with robbing the bank or sleeping with the pool boy. You don't start with that stuff. That's where it, that's where it grows into. But if, imagine, imagine if they didn't care what other people around them thought about them. They just cared about pleasing Jesus. How much different that story could have turned out. Because why do you hide it? Well, multiple reasons. One, because you're ashamed. You don't want people to think less of you. Another reason is because you're not done with sin yet. Ouch. Yeah, all right. As we pray, I would really sincerely like us to pray for, I mean, Ravi is in heaven, I assume. But his family's here and his victims are here. Let's pray for these folk and pray for the people affected and pray for ourselves. Does that work? Holy Spirit, we thank you for grace. I ask God that this conversation not leave us feeling hopeless and despairing, but rather, God, let it leave us feeling hopeful uh, that even though things might look worse in a culture that is open like this, they'll be getting a lot better. Looking worse, getting better. Whereas the other way, we keep looking better and better and getting worse and worse. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us be so sure of your grace, so sure of your mercy, so sure that as we turn and repent, you are capable and willing to redeem and forgive anything, but also empower us to free us from the clutches of addiction and sin, sin in its various forms. And I say, Holy Spirit, you flow. You flow. You flow in the shadow of the cross. You flow to the lowest point of human need, of human um, sincere yearning to have you and your will. You flow, Holy Spirit, in the shadow of the cross and only in the shadow of the cross. You do not come on striving and works of the law. You come on grace and faith in your promise and your goodness. Holy Spirit, we lift up Robbie's family, the whole ministry, and we ask God that you would work unbelievable redemption for the people who he sinned against sexually. Let there be forgiveness. Let there be healing. Let their hearts be strengthened in your love. Bring them to a place of wholeness and forgiveness that there would be no stain at all on them in Jesus' name. No stain left on them at all. Pray God for his family, for his ministry, that the things that were of you would be sown and that you would rebuke the devil. I pray you would help people walk through sorting out what this means and that you would put their feet on a stable path. I pray God for the future of that ministry, that their ministry moving forward would redeem the damage done. And I don't know how you're gonna do it, but that's my prayer. God, we pray for Carl Lentz, for him to not be eaten alive by shame, but to be brought to a true repentance. You alone know the heart. I pray, God, for his wife, that you would bring incredible grace and peace to her heart. I pray, God, for his kids, that you would hover over them in Jesus' name. I pray, God, for the leadership team at, at Hillsong, New York, for the congregation there that you would hover over them and work your healing. I pray, God, for the young lady that he cheated with, that you would reach her heart with freedom and forgiveness and mercy, that you would meet her, that you would encounter her, that you would fill her with your goodness in life.
God, I pray for Jim Baker and Tammy Faye and all that situation. Continue to work your redemption and your healing. Pray for Jimmy Swagger. God, we pray for Bill Cosby. We pray for Jerry Falwell Jr. and his, his wife and Liberty University. We do not lift these uh, stories. We, do not, we don't, I don't bring these stories up tonight to treat them like they're just examples and not really people who matter. They, they matter. And so we speak your will, your healing, your forgiveness, your mercy over all these stories we've mentioned tonight in Jesus' name. Teach us, God. Teach us how to restore each other. Teach us how to be fearless. How to be fearless, God. I pray, God, you would raise up an army of people who live with such integrity in secret, that burn for you with such integrity in secret, that even when we do sin, we don't hide it. That our primary task in life is to walk with you and know you. I pray, God, for you to train us, your church, the evangelical church in America, to think like missionaries first and foremost. To please you, to know you, to walk with you, to be more concerned with knowing you than in standing up for our rights. To please you always and no one else. Please you even when it's costly. Even when it means not pleasing others. Pour out your spirit on all flesh. That the whole body is essential. That the whole body is anointed. That the whole body is intimate with you. That the whole body is powerful. We might not know what you are for yet, but we know God put a gift in you. And that the goal is not to squeeze you into a mold, but to find what he made you for and put you to work doing that. Because you'll enjoy that. And you'll be good at that. I pray, God, that you're... I, I pray against superstar celebrity pastors... And I pray, God, for a whole church of people who are filled with Christ and who have power, who have the power of the Holy Spirit. Too many pedestals cause pastors to hide their sins because they're afraid of hurting people's feelings when they admit their flaws. So I pray in Jesus' name that you would raise up the fullness of your body so the pastors have safe places to say, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that, without their people going, oh, I better find a new, <laughs> find a new church. So Holy Spirit, more, more, real grace flowing, real Holy Spirit flowing, real love flowing, God. Build up your church, God. 